This is Energy Voice Out Loud, leading the global energy conversation. I'm Alistair Thomas and welcome to our podcast and Happy New Year. This time I am joined by our Africa editor, Ed Reed, and our digital journalist, Hamish Penman. Hello, boys. How was your festive break? It was great. It was great. I ate a lot of food and uh, lounged around a lot. Well, that sounds par for the, par for the course and very similar to what <laughs> I did. I, I became a kind of a, a bloated, a bloated Alistair, a big bloated mess um, of, of turkey and... <laughs> Live that dream. ...and beverage. Yeah, it, it felt like the dream. And then, you know, it all just kind of came crashing around me, maybe about four o'clock, five o'clock, and I said to myself, I've, I've consumed too much. Hey, Mish, did you have self-control over Christmas? No, not at all. Maximum indulgence for as long a period Max. as possible. And then very similar, I thought it was fantastic and then played my first game of five-a-side football last night. And it all came back to rather quickly bite me on the ass. I went for a run yesterday and it was an absolute disaster. Just uh, absolute <laughs> just disaster um, is the only way to put it. And um, that was just, uh, yeah, just, uh, just a, a mess. The fitness, the fitness is, is, is no longer there, but there we are. Um, but anyway, I digress, gents. So, some breaking news um, as we record uh, today. Um, offshore Europe, the, uh, the, 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 the premier oil and gas energy conference um, in, in Europe, obviously, uh, has been uh, postponed uh, due to rising cases of the Omicron COVID variant here in the UK. Um, so, as I say, news breaking today. Um, this was expected to take place between February 1st to 4th at the PNJ Live here in Aberdeen. Um, but the organisers, uh, the Society of Petroleum Engineers and Reed Exhibitions, have basically said that due to you know the the concerns around health and safety for exhibitors, um, it's just it just can't go on um, the way that they they might have liked, and it's with a heavy heart that they've taken this decision to postpone. So what's going to happen um, is it's going to be instead kicked into 2023, September 2023, um, and there is potential for a smaller showcase, uh, a sort of smaller themed event potentially later this year, but it'll depend on um, industry demand. So I, I think it's fair to say uh, that this really doesn't come as a surprise. Um, we, we obviously had asked back in, in December um, whether or not uh, Offshore Europe might be postponed. I think the writing's been on the wall a little bit since Omicron became the, the dominant variant uh, in the UK. And as soon as the cases started rising, we had football down to 500 fans, things like that. I think it became relatively clear that uh, 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 an oil and gas event like this with thousands and thousands of people who typically attend just couldn't really go ahead the way that it had been planned. So it seems it seems a sensible option um, for exhibitors and um, people that paid for um, exhibiting um, in February. They're going to have their... Um, Basically, they're going to have their prices, you know, confirmed. They'll be able to carry that through to the the 2023 event um, and guaranteed for it. So that's that's fine. But yeah, I don't think this game is a huge surprise, uh, guys. I think I think you couldn't really hold an event like this when we've got so many um, COVID cases kind of outbreaking, particularly after the festive break. So when was the uh, when was the last one? Was it was it was it in the heady days of pre pre pandemic? So well, uh, yeah. So they, it was meant to happen last year in person. Um, but then they decided to postpone and they instead held a kind of virtual one, I think in September, um, which, which was fine. It was good. Um, but the last in-person one was 2019. Yeah. And we had a, we had a dead in 
from I think Extinction Rebellion, uh, a dead end for those of you who oh, don't yeah. know. When <laughs> oh yes, oh yes, I remember that. It was great. Um, yeah, for those that don't know, a dead end is when people kind of lie in front of a building or a monument or whatever, pretend to be dead, and um, I, I think in the case of offshore, people kind of walked over them. But that's the thing I remember from that particular offshore Europe, anyway. Um, Quite a lot of people do it at three o'clock in the morning on Union Street. Uh, well, well, that must be what they're doing. Yeah, they must be. There must there must be environmental protests going on in Union Street. Yeah. Oh, what a what a disaster our town centre is. No, uh, so. Um, yeah, it, it, it seems it wasn't much of a surprise. Um, you know, they were expected to kind of go ahead this year in February, as I say. And it really did look like that, that was going to happen. Um, you know, everything was kind of lining up nicely. And then, as I say, the writing kind of came on the wall when the Omicron kind of variant spring, sprung up. And it, it's it's a shame because we've obviously had this kind of devastating uh, impact on events, Um Obviously, UK wide, but you know, we, in in Aberdeen specifically, we have the the PNJ Live. It's kind of this brand new, kind of world class uh, showcase uh, exhibition hall that we've we've recently constructed, and you know, there's been things going on. And then, obviously, 2020, 2021 have been really tough for the events industry, and kind of, I guess, there's been a lot of hope that. Um, you know, concerts and that would come back, but obviously for Aberdeen, a lot of the events is driven are driven by uh, the oil and gas industry. A lot of conferences that we put on, and if that can't be done, then it's kind of just another blow to them. So this is this is a real shame from from that perspective, and that's kind of guess why they say it's from a heavy heart that they've uh, taken this decision. You know, if you've only got 500 fans for the football, if you've only got 500 fans for the Six Nations coming up, you know, how, how again, how can you justify an event of however many thousand people showing up, potentially from international as well? So, I, I, again, I think it's the right decision. It, it is a shame. Um, and I guess they will hopefully have another another event soon. The, the, other, the other thing, I suppose, that this calls into question, and I dare say we'll have a decision very, very soon, is also in February is Subsea Expo, which is also expected to take place at the PNJ Live. And it's obviously a much kind of smaller event. But uh, I think this, again, kind of calls into question whether or not that can actually go ahead as well. You know, I, I think they'll have to make a decision on whether or not they want to make that into a hybrid version or potentially postpone as well. But I, I, I don't know. I guess, I guess it kind of... Um, shows that uh you know nothing's certain whilst we have these 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 covid cases surging i mean we had we had um nicola sturgeon the first minister here giving an update um uh yesterday uh, and basically said that the virus was you know more widespread now than at any point in the pandemic so far and we had this very rapid widespread transmission of the Omicron variant over the festive period, having kind of gone from one in every 40 people in Scotland having COVID to one in every 20, kind of within that time frame. So again, we can't really go ahead. It probably suggests that other oil and gas conferences will have issues too. And that's, I guess that's not just here in Aberdeen, but but UK-wide potentially, potentially around the world. I, I was going to say, because I mean, I think, well, so in, at the moment, I'm still planning to go to Abu Dhabi in a, in a couple of weeks for uh, Abu Dhabi Sustainability oh, yeah, Week. Yeah. 
which as far as I know is still uh, is still going on. So it, it would be interesting to see, you know, how that kind of dis- that, that sort of decision plays out. And then also, I mean, in February, I mean, there's a couple of, of events coming up in in London. I mean, I think you know what used to be uh, IP Week. I think it's now International Energy, Energy Week. Week. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. obviously no one wants to uh, put the put the name petroleum to any any events. <laughs> These days. So uh, international energy. I mean, I think at the moment, it's sort of mid-February is my thinking. And it would be interesting to see, you know, sort of how that goes. I I, I gather it's a sort of a hybrid thing at the moment. Um, But obviously, I mean, historically, IP Week has been very much about... It's sort of a like a trader lollapalooza, you know. These sort of you know traders get together from all over the world and uh, and and drink themselves silly in various uh, mm. various uh, low life spots around London. That sounds good. And I, and I and I and I think that's the sort of thing that that, that could struggle in a hybrid setting. Yeah, you, you lose that face to face, don't you? Um, I, I guess I guess that's that's what everyone's been kind of saying the last kind of year or so um, that we've been speaking to is that they kind of miss that face-to-face interaction i guess the and, and for something like ip week for something like offshore europe you know uh, yes you have the the conference events but i guess a big part of it is really the networking and mm. um, particularly for the suppliers trying to meet people and trying to to build you know use this as a kind of platform for exhibitions and 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 you know building those relationships and building that clientele particularly at a time when you know uh the, the oil and gas prices are up investment Although it's it's obviously been down substantially in in recent times, but you know there are definitely positive signs at the moment in terms of the commodity prices, the landscape, um, and I guess I think this would come as quite a frustration. But I, I don't think ultimately anyone is going to argue with the decision. I think as 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 with all things in, in oil and gas, safety uh, must come first. But it absolutely is uh, a shame for those who are really hoping to get back to, to business as usual. Um, so there it, there it is, folks. We'll, we'll see what happens with uh, Ed's event in Abu Dhabi and with Subsea Expo. We'll obviously keep you posted online on those as we have it. Um, for now, we'll leave that there. and We'll be right back in the North Sea with calls for a windfall tax. What will the future of the North Sea look like? Which technologies are needed to make the basin fit for purpose in a net-zero world? Energy Voice invites you to join us and a select group of industry leaders to scope out the future of energy development in the North Sea. The virtual event on Thursday the 27th of January will feature two sessions covering the key themes of net-zero decommissioning and transition technologies, drawing on expertise from our partners such as Schlumberger, Baker Hughes and Boston Consulting Group. Join the conversation and hear from the companies and people shaping the future of the North Sea. Register free for our future North Sea event at fns2022.co.uk. So, Hamish, um, staying with the North Sea over the kind of the festive break, we've had some rumblings about calls for uh, a windfall tax. And I guess that is coming off the back of, as we kind of just discussed, some higher oil and gas prices. Yeah, specifically gas and um, kind of looking ahead as well when we get to April and this energy price cap that we've all been enjoying uh, specifically recently with the uh, gas prices through the roof is going to expire. And that means that bills are going to are going to go up inevitably. Um, but what kind of the measure that they have to go up yet remains to be seen. But there are there is quite a lot of concerns starting to brew that consumers are really going to have to start footing a large proportion of this price rise because gas prices have as we saw last year have been hitting record high levels. 
Um, and that has prompted ideas. And this is kind of a North Sea windfall tax. It seems to be one of these things that keeps coming comes around every few years and, and this is its time to come back again but it's been proposed this time by a friend of the podcast actually uh, Dale Vince uh, the head of Eco Ecotricity uh, also chairman of Forest Green Rovers and a bit of a green energy kind of pioneer um, he also featured on the quiz I think didn't he in the, he in did we, we none, none of us got the answer yeah that's the- <laughs> I don't know hopefully he wasn't listening sorry Dale. Um, but he was on the radio over the Christmas periods, um, kind of talking about this, the inevitable rise in um, in consumer bills and the reasons for it. And he mooted the idea of a North Sea windfall tax to help kind of cover, cover the cost of these price spikes to ease a bit of the pressure on consumers. He said that oil and gas companies have made a killing uh, during the recent price hike and that introducing such a tax could, uh, I think it was easily cover the cost of the rise in bills um, and he said that the idea that it should fall on the consumer was crazy. Um, now just for a bit of context as I mentioned this isn't the first time that people have proposed a windfall tax. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn and his 2019 Labour Party manifesto he announced plans for an £11 billion raid on the sector uh, if he won the general election to kind of ring fence a pot for uh, the, the energy transition and in 2011 the conservative chancellor george osborne he was kind of accused of a tax grab after he increased the, the supplementary charge on oil production so it's not a new idea um but it is one that is kind of not particularly popular as you'd uh, probably expect from within the sector um <laughs> so oil and gas uk they were i kind of chatted to them recently they actually said that it could have the opposite effects uh, and that in terms of the just transition if companies aren't able to spend as much cash as they'd like on a low carbon technology and decarbonizing their own operations uh, then that could really put a dent in that um, and also the point of investor confidence and we've obviously spoken on here recently about how that is perhaps starting to uh starting to I don't know, dive, I suppose, especially in relation to the Cambo field and, and Shell's decision there that perhaps the North Sea isn't as an attractive a basin as it once was for investors. Um, so introducing a windfall tax would just simply serve to uh, to augment that. Um, also comment from uh, Brodie's, mm. uh, specifically Claire Monroe, who said that if you are kind of, in, if you're going to put a tax on which would inevitably reduce UK outputs, um, and lead to more fields being decommissioned, decreased investment in new fields. That's simply going to exacerbate the energy crisis that we're seeing. Um, it's going to make gas more scarce and prices only going to go one way after that. So there is, as you would expect, quite a lot of people not particularly uh, enamoured with the idea of a windfall tax. Kwasi Kwarteng had said earlier, or said last year rather, that he uh, is not in favour of them. So it doesn't seem that one is around the corner mm. But the longer that these high gas prices continue, it seems as if more, well, it seems only normal that more voices would join Mr. Vince in a, perhaps calling for one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it strikes me that people, you know, it, it, it you get caught up in a news cycle and, you know, you think about, oh, well, we're hearing nothing about other than, you know, these operators are reaping the benefits of, of high commodity prices and, you know, the record high commodity prices. And, and and that's fine. And when you take it within that context, you know, this idea doesn't sound that crazy. However, we've just had 
five or six of the most kind of volatile years the industry could have predicted. I mean, in, in 2020, we lost 30,000 jobs. So who's to say the oil price won't tumble again? Or, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, sorry, Dale. Dale Vince doesn't know either. Uh, so, you, you know, you've, you've got a potential issue of, as you say, is, you know, a government kind of tax exacerbating, well, uh, uh, re- reduced investment, potentially redundancies, if, if, you know, the kind of global picture was to play against us. So, you know, as as you say, I don't think it sounds very likely the government will go for this. Um, and as you mentioned, the supplementary charge kind of is already a, an additional tax on the industry. If you could guarantee that conditions will prevail as they currently are in, you know, the several years ahead for the industry, then certainly can see the argument. But if not, and if things remain volatile, then I don't think you, I don't think you go for this because as we've seen, things can really change on a dime. I mean, I, I think, like, clearly from the industry perspective, it would be a bad move. And as you say, right, I mean, I think, you know, so in terms of sort of, you know, killing sort of any sort of newfound optimism is it would, would clearly be a bad thing for the sector. I, I suppose looking at it from the other side, right, from the, from the sort of, from the populist sort of political side, I think that there, there is a clear rationale for it, isn't there? Because, you know, we're looking at a point where inflation is starting to rise, uh, across you know across the UK in in Europe we are looking at the uh, at the this problem of, of of rising power prices which is going to have a knock on impact on the economy isn't it I mean it's going to have an impact on manufacturing on even on households right we we are looking at you know higher gas prices higher power prices and I, I, and so I suppose that the, the you know I think as you say Alistair like there there is this thing of you know we, we've had sort of five years six years of turmoil and of you know low prices and that has taken its toll but I think the problem is that people don't think about energy when it's cheap mm, right mm-hmm. you just kind of accept it as a sort of a fact of life that that the lights will work when you when you when you turn the switch on it's when the prices start going up that suddenly people start thinking what is this about like why am i why why might i have to pay you know like double in 22 22 what i paid last year or or you know whatever whatever where the prices go so i think you know there, there is this point where clearly it's it's going to be a, a big inflationary impact and i think that the as a result it's going to start you know featuring in political thinking right it's going to start thinking about you know these parties are going to start saying what are we you know what are we trying to do like should we be protecting uh, the oil and gas industry? You know, we're trying to move away from fossil fuels. Maybe this is the time to sort of tax it into non-existence, right? You know, to to, to really drive that uh, that change. Yeah, yeah. I, I no, I, I definitely see that point. I'm just kind of anticipating, trying to anticipate what the industry argument would be on that. And I guess what what I think an oil and gas UK, for example, might say is if you drive a tax up like this, it will consequently see people reducing investment, it will shrink the industry, kind of as you say here in the UK, and then potentially the the reliance on imports becomes greater, and then we've got higher, even higher domestic gas prices anyway, right? So I guess I guess the, the, the lesson is we can't take it in isolation from the consumer side or in isolation from the industry side, and clearly there needs to be a better uh, dialogue for not not just when it's uh, it's it's you know high high commodity prices, but I suppose when it's low prices as well. So, and I think the kind of particularly tough point here is that because oil and gas is not in vogue currently, and and the government doesn't want to be seen to be giving too much backing uh, to its kind of conventional exploration and production activities. 
were that not the case, then I think government you can make quite a good argument for government really kind of backing it, increasing the supply side of this as a way, as a means to addressing this this shortfall. But it can't really do that currently, so it's having to I don't know kind of keep two sides, two opposing sides, very happy, which is not an easy thing to do <laughs> because you can't because it it, it can't be seen to be trying to promote or continued promotion of oil and gas activity or even scaling up production because that's just not going to appease certain quarters. But at the same time, it it needs to address this problem quite quickly before before we all start feeling the sting in, in not only, like you said, Ed, Ed Bills, but petrol prices, manufacturing costs, all the all the things that will rely on on energy for for their production yeah no no absolutely uh, and i think i think we could go on with this one but but we shall not we shall brave forward uh, as as ever so we'll park that one there and next up ed is speaking about a naughty man called austin avulu as he said in his email in an exxon bidding war energy voice investigates and reports on what matters in global energy helping sector leaders understand the geopolitical and economic factors underpinning current events and giving them a view on what's coming over the horizon. Each year, 3.4 million professionals use Energy Voice as a trusted source of breaking news and insight. Subscribers to Energy Voice receive unlimited access to the Energy Voice website, including premium content, free and discounted special reports and additional content, free access to the Energy Voice live app featuring a personalized feed, and priority access to Energy Voice events. For a 30-day free trial subscription to the Energy Voice website and app, visit energyvoice.com slash subscriptions. Join the global energy conversation with Energy Voice. Okay, uh, Ed, so tell us about Austin Avulu and why he's been a, uh, a bad boy. Oh. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. Well, so allegations, as you can imagine, are flying. Um, so essentially, uh, Austin Avuru used to be the, uh, the, the the head of a, of a Nigerian company called Seplat Petroleum. I think uh, it, it then became Seplat Energy. Um, so, uh, and and he continues to this day to be its its largest shareholder with about ten percent of the company. So he left in in mid twenty twenty, uh, and then uh, went off to pastures new. Although continuing to act. As a as, as a non exec for Seplat, um, and then uh, in the there's curious dog days just before Christmas when you know people have knocked off, including me. To be fair, um, <laughs> Seplat put out a statement saying uh, we are parting ways with Austin uh, They 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 accused him of breaching corporate government governance policies and his fiduciary du- duties um pretty hard hitting for a for a pre-christmas uh, message i've got to say it so it turns out that uh mr Rivera had had, had gone on to another company called uh, chapel petroleum and uh this new company is bidding for a package of assets from exxon uh so it's it's sort of the, some some fields around the quaibo terminal and the yoho development um and the, the 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 price tag is you know maybe about a one and a half billion dollars something like that they're saying, um, so the problem is that uh, Chapel Petroleum is not the only company interested in this package of of Exxon assets. You'll never guess what Seplat is also interested in in buying these uh, these these fields from Exxon. Coincidence. Uh, so Seplat came out and said uh, that they were they were keen on these these fields in in November of last year uh, about you know maybe maybe sort of three weeks before. 
uh, before parting ways with Mr. Avuru. So it's 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 a difficult time. Obviously, Mr. Avuru did you know uh, takes issue with, uh, with with how Setplat has has framed uh, the, uh, the the accusations and and, and his actions. Uh, so he, uh, communicating through his lawyers, he said that that, that Setplat's uh, allegations were designed to malign uh, him, and 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 so it, it does feel that that we have not seen the end of this particular debate. Uh, I imagine that there will be a certain amount of legal argy-bargy, to use a technical mm-hmm. term. Um, so yeah, there 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 are some, some some problems that they're working through. I mean, I think it's, it should also be noted that that this isn't the First time that that Setplatz had some problems with some of its uh, Nigerian uh, executives. Um, it, it had a problem uh, that that also kind of came to a head last year, where um, another of its major shareholders and, and chairman, uh, ABC Ojiako, had a, a company called Cardinal Drilling, which had taken out a loan from a from a bank, and. Um, this drilling company had been unable to pay its bills. And so the bank, for various reasons, came after Setplat. Um, and they managed to get a, a court order, uh, essentially shutting Setplat staffs out of its office for about a month. Uh, and, and and obviously not a great look. Uh, until finally Setplat gave in and and bought the, the, the some drilling rigs in question and then managed to make the problem go away in, in a move that uh, the, the CEO described as difficult but practical in, in, in a way that, that really could be said to describe much of the uh, operations in Nigeria and not just for <laughs> Setplat. So yeah, it's been a it's been a it's been a been a tough uh, tough month or so for Setplat, you know, coming out with their with their big big plans for the Exxon asset before uh, seeing it all go quite dramatically sideways. So if I've, if I've got it right, and I'd like to think I have, yeah, so as you say, <laughs> a tough month. So this guy has kind of moved from one company to another, um, both firms within a bidding war. There must have been, and this is in the space of a few weeks, a month or so, uh, there must have been, a, you would assume anyway, that there would be a non-compete clause somewhere saying you can't move to a competitor within X number of weeks, months, right? I mean, I, I think that's typical standard practice. I think I think certainly there are going to be a lot of questions about when exactly uh, Chapel Petroleum was set up uh, and, and, and when Mr. Aviru, you know, sort of took over duties, quite how deeply enmeshed he was in, in, in those sort of discussions with Exxon. I imagine this is the sort of thing that, that keeps uh, lawyers in, uh, in, in fast, fast cars in good times. That's <laughs> well put. Um, so, so just to see another angle to it. So, Exxon's Exxon sale here. I mean, I guess they've. Well, we've 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 been talking about a number of things here, but they've, I guess they've got better prospects in other parts of the world. They want to offload their emissions as well. Is that is that kind of part of the thinking? Here? Exactly, exactly. I mean, I think so. I mean, Exxon is not alone in in sort of you know these the plans to sort of sell down these sort of mature brownfield onshore sort of swamp assets in Nigeria. Obviously, Nigeria in the Niger Delta, it's a sort of a tough neighborhood to, to, to work in. You know, there are security issues, there are community issues. Uh, you know, the the, the 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 sort of the odds are stacked against them. And I think you know the IOCs are really sort of seeing those production numbers declining and it's it kind of you know it, there was kind of a feel of a, of a sort of a shift change and 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 this is very much the sort of the model that we're seeing in in nigeria where there's a clear drive for uh local content for local participation in these 
in these projects. So we're seeing these sort of independents often with some degree of, of, of foreign backing, either you know directly through equity stakes or through 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 bank support, um, move to take over sort of uh, IOC, IOC assets. So I mean, you know, Shell, Chevron, Total, they're all kind of going through a similar thing. I mean, the IOCs are tending to keep the sort of the bigger sort of deep water assets. Uh, you know, sort of Shell's got, you know, Bonga and there there are sort of, you know, plans for, you know, the, the potential, you know, new projects there. As we discussed last year, Nigeria's just, you know, brought in new a new oil law that hopes to make operations in in those sort of areas a little bit more attractive. So, you know, there may be some some more big projects coming down the line. Obviously, that's, you know, going to be a, a, a really interesting issue to watch. But especially for, for a company like Exxon, you know, coming out this week with was it was it two more fines in Guyana? I think you know when you you know sort of balancing the those sort of you know the, the sort of the onshore difficulties of, of of the Niger Delta with you know militants with you know pipeline problems with you know shipping with pirates you know with 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 community issues versus you know a lovely sort of straightforward what is it 10 billion 11 billion barrels of oil offshore guyana with mm. who knows how many fpsos i mean that's it's it's, it's it, it must feel like a no brainer and i think you know there's, there's clearly you know nigeria is a is 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 a, is a tough neighborhood so yeah i think you know looking for uh easier easier investment destination makes uh campbell in the west of shetland sound uh positively <laughs> uh, delightful um when you look at it from that perspective um yeah i, I guess i guess i guess just in terms of what exxon might want from this i think i saw in your previous reportage that it could have been into the, the the billions of dollars in terms of what they're hoping from these licenses i mean of these i mean i suppose they may look for a, a partial um purchase of these and not maybe all of them but i mean if these companies got the i guess the financial might to to pull something like that off or they might need partners to come in yes i mean i think i think it's going to be very much a, a question of, of of partners i mean i think you know this is uh, this is somewhere where you know we have seen you know sort of uh london listed companies in particular sort of come in and, and provide support um and i think you know it's, it's one of those quite interesting areas isn't it about that kind of you know where are where are sort of new investments into oil and gas going i think you know clearly if you've got the local partners and you can handle that sort of degree of complexity, then you you know there 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 are good returns to be made. And you know the 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 in this this sort of shift change from from IOCs to, to to sort of you know Nigerian and and sort of uh, foreign independence, there are some serious quite uh, you know some 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 big numbers being sort of thrown around. You know we've you know Shell has made some some very nice returns on on the sale of some of its its assets, and you know so I think you know. The rumor was, you know, maybe Exxon might be thinking about sort of one and a half billion dollars. Mm. I mean, obviously, who knows? Once you know things sort of work out, and and you know whether whether that's actually practical. Obviously, some of these deals have gone through, and then you know there have been problems later down the line. But I mean, I think it 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 is a it is a a, a big number issue, and and it can work, right? I mean, I think you know um, you know it previous um previous aberdeen uh, based uh eland was oh, yeah. uh, you know one of the uh, one of the ones that uh, that that made pretty good headway in in nigeria in terms of you know sort of picking up sort of you know local fields with sort of you know mature production and and then you know making a real go of it so i think there are you know that the, there are real opportunities um 
as said, if you've got the cash and those sort of local links. Okay, thanks, Ed. Uh, I think we'll leave uh, Seplat and Mr. Avuru there, and we will leave it for that latest edition of Energy Voice Out Loud. Thank you again, Ed and Hamish, for joining me. I've been Alistair Thomas, and thank you for listening. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.